0: This morning we're going to consider Christian love in the end times. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through to 11. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll read those verses now for you. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand... Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity, or love, among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A person's conduct now is inevitably going to be influenced by what he believes will happen in the future, or by what he believes he is able to do in order to shape the future that he hopes for. For example, Marxism divides history into different socio-economic eras that will end after a bloody revolution in a worker's paradise. If you're following the news in America, you'll know that the various Marxist groups in that country are engaged in a violent and bloody revolution against the establishment. Then there are the Hindus. They believe in reincarnation. In other words, they believe that all humans go through various lives and thus move higher or lower to perfection. Therefore, they believe that it is incumbent upon people to live virtuous lives in order to get closer and closer to a blissful release from their seemingly endless cycle of life and death, known as Nirvana. Also, Hindus believe that they can be reincarnated as animals, which is why so many of them live as vegetarians. Also there are the atheists who say in their heart that there is no God and they believe that death is the end. When you're dead, you're dead. As such, they may well have little or no thought for the future and they are more likely to live according to the sinful flesh, doing what they want with regards to sexual immorality and with little or no regard for any moral boundaries. Why worry about anything if there is no God? Just do what you want. Christians believe that they are now in the last days and those days will end when Jesus comes again. That is something that we looked at last week. We considered the day of judgment a time in the future when Jesus will judge all who are in the grave and all who are still alive when he comes again. In other words, he will judge everyone who has ever lived and that will include all who have professed faith in him. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done whether it be good or bad. It was emphasized that all who as repentant sinners have trusted in Jesus for salvation will receive their heavenly inheritance when Jesus comes again in judgment. It was also emphasised that all who have not believed in the Son of God, to them Jesus will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. With the thought firmly fixed in their minds that their great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is ready to come again, Christians live the rest of their time in the flesh not doing the sinful desires of men, but doing the will of God as God enables them by his grace. Continuing with that thought, we will now read verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Verse 7 starts with, but the end of all things, or for the end of all things, or and the end of all things, or quite simply the end of all things, depending on what version of the Bible you are reading. By looking at what Peter had just said, we can be sure that the end of all things is a reference to the day of judgment when Jesus will come again and bring this world to an end. In verse seven, Peter said, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. As such, before even going on to talk about Christian conduct towards one another in view of Jesus being ready to come again in judgment, Peter first of all considered our minds. John Calvin said, that it ought to be the chief concern of the believer to fix his mind constantly on Christ's second advent. They are very wise words from Calvin when you consider that it is our minds that control our conduct and will continue to do so right up until Jesus comes again. Christians are to be sober, or of a right mind, according to verse 7. A vivid example of right-mindedness is given in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus encountered a man who was in a terrible state. He was naked and possessed by many demons. When the man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee? Jesus, Son of God Most High, I beseech thee, torment me not. However, by the end of it all, Jesus had cast out all the evil spirits, and according to Luke chapter 8 and verse 35, the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and he wanted to follow Jesus. We are told that he was in his right mind and that is the same Greek word that is translated sober in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. Those who are not looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, whether they be Marxists, or Hindus, atheists, or whatever, have no interest at all in doing the will of God, and they are most certainly not in their right mind. They are like the demoniac used to be. They are insane. However, a Christian is someone who is like that man by the end of the story. They are seated at the feet of Jesus. They are clothed in his righteousness, they follow Jesus, they are in their right mind, they are sober, they are sane. A big difference between those who belong to Jesus, who are trusting in Jesus and those who are not. All you people who are not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin and consequently your mind is not set on him being ready to come again, You need to change your mind. In other words, you need to repent. As the prodigal son did in Luke chapter 15, he travelled to a far country with his inheritance, even though his father wasn't even dead. And he squandered all the money on riotous living. However, we're told in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, that he came to himself. In other words, he repented and he said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. You too must show repentance towards God and believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for forgiveness. That is the beginning of right-mindedness. As for you who are already trusting in Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord, live the rest of your time in this present world with your mind set upon Jesus. When you are of a sound mind, a mind that is focused on Jesus, whose second coming is at hand, in other words it is imminent, you will inevitably be someone who is given to prayer looking at it negatively, if your prayer life is dead, could it be because you are not living your time with an eager and earnest expectation of his coming, and instead you are completely caught up and sidetracked by the things of this world? Well, have a look at verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. When it comes to the conduct of sober-minded Christians towards one another, above else, all else rather, you are to have charity or love among yourselves. But it's not just any old love. It is a love that is fervent or stretched out. A fervent love is one that speaks of much more There are a few nice words, as encouraging as those words might be. It is a love that even stretches and reaches Christians who you might otherwise want to avoid at all cost. That is a fervent love. It is a love that shall cover the multitude of sins. But how can love cover the multitude of sins? Well... Love certainly doesn't sweep sins under the mat, but it does stop a person's sin from being broadcast, exaggerated and gloated over by others. A fervent love also ensures that even though sin is not ignored in the church, it is nevertheless addressed with prayer for an errant brother or sister in Christ to be restored and a willingness to forgive when there is repentance, Christians ought to be seen by the unbelieving world to be people who really do love one another. As Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35 By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Well, have a look at verse 9. Use hospitality. One to another without grudging. What Peter said in verse nine is not to be read as a command. Rather the hospitality or kindness towards guests, including strangers, is fervent love in action. There's no getting away from it. The New Testament has much to say about hospitality. For example, To the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul said, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour preferring one another, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. And in the Apostle John's third epistle, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of a man by the name of Gaius was commended. It was seen in his love and hospitality for visiting missionaries. Most likely he took care of their needs out of his own substance, out of his own money. According to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 35, when Jesus shall come again in judgment, he will say to the Christians, to the sheep on his right side, I was a stranger and ye took me in. Jesus said that in the context of whatever is done for the least of the brethren is done for him, including taking in strangers. Jesus was talking about hospitality. It reminds me of my days as a city missionary. It was the hospitality of Christians who I didn't even know and who opened up their homes to me that enabled me to travel across the UK visiting churches to give a report of what the Lord was doing through my gospel ministry in East London. One of those dear people who put me up and who put up with me lived in County Antrim, Northern Ireland. While I was there I was taken on a tour of the local town and we visited a Christian bookshop where I saw a wooden sign with the words Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Without dropping hints, I simply remarked how nice the sign was. Anyway, as I was saying my goodbyes about a week later, my host gave me that sign. He had bought it for me, and about 15 years later now, that sign is still attached to the wall outside my front door. Every time I look at it, I'm reminded of how God has provided so much for me and my family through the kindness and generosity of Christian brethren. It is a kindness that has enabled me to focus on proclaiming the riches of God's grace over the the past 24 years in Christian ministry. Looking again at verse 9, the hospitality is to be without grudging. That reinforces what I said earlier. That hospitality proceeds from fervent love amongst Christian brethren. Therefore, if you grumble about doing this and doing that in Christian service, then you probably need to check your motives. Well, look at verse 10. As every man have received the gift, even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everyone has a gift of some sort. No one is completely useless. We've all got something that we can do. The gift might be for writing sermons building houses, sowing spiritual seeds. We've got the prayer warriors amongst us. We've got people who are good at working with wood and metal. Maybe a person has a competence with numbers, playing a musical instrument, singing songs, teaching children, hospitality, keeping a tidy home, whatever. Ultimately, all of those gifts are God-given. And surely there can be no better use of them than in Christian service. I don't know how many times I've listened to gifted pop musicians and thought how great it would be if they were born again. I don't know if I'm, if there's others who have thought the same thing. Ungodly people and you think to yourself, wow, well, wouldn't it be great if that person was born again and received the Lord Jesus Christ and everlasting life from the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift, almighty God. And he put that music, musical gift that he has to good use in a local church, praising and glorifying God in music and in song, instead of producing a lot of man-centred nonsense. Dear Christian, whatever gift you have should not simply be used for your advantage, but rather for the benefit of the brethren and for the glory of God. Well, have a look at verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion for ever and ever. (coughs) Amen. In verse 11, Peter addresses preachers and teachers in the church, saying that they are to speak the oracles of God. In other words, they are to preach from the scriptures. Spurgeon put it very well when he said, reckon that every sermon is a wasted sermon, which is not Christ's word. Believe that all theology is rotten rubbish, which is not the word of the Lord. Do not be satisfied with going to a place of worship and hearing an eloquent discourse unless the sum and substance of it is the word of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, whether you teach children or their parents, do not think you have done any good unless you have taught the word of the Lord. For saving purposes, we must have the Lord's word and nothing else. Secondly, in verse 11, Peter addressed those who minister or serve. That clearly applies to deacons, but beyond that it applies to all Christians. After all, there is plenty to do by way of Christian service, such as visiting the fatherless, And widows in their affliction giving food to hungry christians visiting those who are sick and so on and so on also we can see in verse 11 that whatever is done in service to others is done with god's enabling and for his glory finally all that has been considered today such as being sober-minded having fervent love among christians being hospitable without moaning, using your gifts for the benefit of one another, preaching from the scriptures, serving in the power of God and for his glory, those things ought not to be thought of as works or deeds that are carried out in order to gain gain acceptance by God. The fact is that there will be no one in heaven boasting that his works, such as his hospitality, got him there. The only way that anyone will ever be accepted by God is through faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are people who are trusting in the finished work of Jesus, his obedience to God in life and on the cross where he he carried away their sins and where he laid down his life. Therefore, it really does all start with a helpless sinner coming to his senses, and showing repentance towards God, trusting in the Son of God, and making it his prayer that he might not live according to the lusts of men, but rather to do the will of God through Jesus Christ, his Saviour, for the glory of God. May it please God for that mind to be in each one of us. Amen.